Okay, we're going to be studying today three very real possibilities uh, in our Adventist history in which Jesus had uh, a very good chance of coming back to this earth. Three very real possibilities. And to start off, we'll go to the Bible to get some context of what we're studying today. So it'll be, <clears throat> excuse me, this will be found in uh, Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 uh, through 6. This is uh, during the time of the Israelites. They're standing at the border of Canaan, and they receive some bad news from the spies that had been in Canaan for 40, years, for 40 days. And those, those spies brought back, 10 of them brought back bad news. And after hearing that bad news, the reaction of the congregation was that they lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation and said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And jo Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of, can't pronounce his name, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they went on um, to try and, both Joshua and Caleb tried to convince the children of Israel to reconsider uh, <coughs> uh, their, their decision not to go into the, the promised land. However, they did not. And because, they, because of the spirit that they had, because they looked to the advice of men in that situation, and they refused to look to God and to, to, to believe in the promises of God, they decided that they would not go into the, the children, they wouldn't go into the promised land. And as a result, God had some words for them as well. In verse 27, the Bible says, How long shall I bear, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to you, swear to make you dwell therein. Caleb, save Caleb this, and Joshua, the son of Dun. But your little ones, which ye said should be prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in, the, in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness for forty years. And bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Number, uh, verse 34. After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, ye shall bear your iniquities even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. So this text is, this last text is one of the, one of the texts that, that um, is used for the year-day principle, but it also has some other uh, 
important lessons as well. It says over here that ye shall know my breach of promise. God's promises are conditional. And each one of them will take place as God has said if the conditions are met. And even though God had promised that he would and he had sworn that he would bring these children into the land of Canaan because they refused to believe him and because of their unbelief and their murmuring, they're looking to man, God had to breach his promise. In the same way, today we will see some periods in, in our Adventist, early Adventist history where God was very willing to finish this all and come back. Unfortunately, uh, they, our spiritual forefathers committed some of the same mistakes. And if we learn those mistakes, if we learn those lessons, hopefully we'll be able to avoid it um, in our generation today. The events right after 1844 were chaotic ones. Even as um, some of the, the group were starting to study the Bible and, and go back to, to lay the foundation for uh, what they believed, relay the foundation, as we studied last week, uh, the events of the, the, the truth such as the Sabbath, the sanctuary message, the law of God, the state of the dead, um, the second coming of Christ, these type of things as they were starting to lay these uh, foundations through the Bible, there were some people who continued to, to believe the old way. They continued to set new dates for Jesus to come. Some of them closed their ears to the truth that was being uh, rediscovered in the Bible. Among those people was William Miller. He was an old man by now. He had absorbed a lot of shock, and he was, he was willing to follow the message, the, the, the Sabbath message and the sanctuary message. However, his friends at the time, uh, his younger friends, told him that it wasn't worth studying and it wasn't worth following. And unfortunately, even he uh, decided to, le to, to listen to the advice of his friends and he closed his ears to the message. Mrs. White says that the, the angels guard the precious dust of his grave and that means that, that he will be in the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, because of the, the advice of his friends and because he took the advice of his friends, he also was unable to, to catch the vision and be able to, to learn these truths and, and preach them with power. And had he done so, he may have been in heaven today. So, these, these people, however, however well read they were, because they took their eyes off Jesus, they were not able to, to enter the, the kingdom of heaven at that time. Mrs. White has a few comments from that time period. She says that there's no failure of God's promises. God has promised, but just because He has promised, it doesn't mean that it will happen if the conditions aren't met. She says, the angels of God, I'm reading from Evangelism, page 695. The angels of God in their messages to men represent time as very short. She's referring to the three angels' messages. Thus, it has always been presented to me. It is true that time has continued longer than we expected in the early days of this message. Our Savior did not appear as soon as we hoped. But has the word of God failed? Never. It should be remembered that the promises and threatenings of God are alike conditional. 
So the promises and the threatenings of God are conditional. Can somebody remember a time when God threatened to do something and then he decided not to do it? Nineveh. God said that the city should be destroyed in 40 days. The prophet came and he preached the message. The people repented, all 120,000 of them, and God decided to um, defer that, that destruction. And in the same way, she says, had Adventists, reading from the same chapter, had Adventists after the great disappointment in 1844 held fast their faith and followed on unitedly in, opening, in the opening providence of God, receiving the message of the third angel and in the power of the Holy Spirit proclaiming it to the world, they would have seen the salvation of God. The Lord would have wrought mightily with their efforts. The work would have been completed and Christ would have come ere this to receive his people to their reward. But in the period of doubt and uncertainty that followed the disappointment, many of the Advent believers yielded their faith. Thus the work was hindered and the world was left in darkness. Had the whole Adventist body united upon the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, how widely different would have been our history. So this is her commentary about this time period right after 1844 when they were rediscovering some of the messages. In another paragraph she says, God had committed to his people a work to be accomplished on earth. The third angel's message was given and the minds of the believers were directed to the heavenly sanctuary where Christ had entered to make atonement for his people. The Sabbath reform was to be carried forward. The breach in the law of God must be made up. The message must be proclaimed with a loud voice to all the inhabitants of the earth that all the inhabitants of the earth might receive the warning. The people of God must purify them, their souls through obedience to the truth and be prepared to stand without fault before his coming. So these were some of the conditions that, uh, that God had for his children to, to follow through with. And because they did not, in, in faith, right after the disappointment, go back to the Bible, study these truths and assimilate them into their lives, they unfortunately were not able to, to follow through and, and do the things that God wanted them to do. And as a result, the time passed. And, and God decided to wait. In mercy, he decided to wait. I can say it's to our advantage that that happened because otherwise we wouldn't have a chance either. We wouldn't have been born okay. before the coming. Okay, that happened to our advantage. Yes, um, it happened to our advantage, but as you will see at the, <laughs> towards the end of the class, that had it not happened, it would have been better. Um, but at the same time, yes, we are alive today, and the same responsibilities, the same promises are for us today as well to take hold of these promises. And if we, if we take hold of them, and if we follow through with them, God will be faithful. Let us go on to um, another paragraph where she talks about this same um, experience. She says, For 40 years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It is the unbelief, the worldliness, the unconsecration, and the strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow for so many years. This is, um, the original reference is Manuscript 4, 1883. Um, this was pulled from Evangelism, page 696. Same, same, par same chapter. The reason for the delay. 
And she goes on to say that charge it not to God. We may have to remain here in this world because of insubordination many more years as did the children of Israel. But for Christ's sake, his people should not add sin to sin by charging God with the consequence of their own wrong course of action. So God is not at fault that we are here in this world today. It's not God's fault that we are here. It was his intention right after 1844, in the years following that, very soon to, for his people to proclaim the message, to uh, put the law of God in its right place in the minds of the people, and to present Christ to the world, and give that last message of warning to the world, and the events, the last events would have happened rapidly, and, and this would have been all done with. However, they, they chose not to do that, and so we are here today. There was another time right after that, a few years later, when, when God again came very close to his people. This was in the 1850s. Elder James White at this time had been studying uh, Revelation, and it was the, the prevalent belief, because of the unity, because of the love that the the Millerites had experienced in the seventh month movement, a lot of them thought that they were part of the Philadelphian church. If you remember, there's seven churches in Revelation, and one of them is the, is the church of Philadelphia. And they felt that they were part of, that they were, that was that, that church referred to them. However, under close study of the Bible, James White realized that the seven churches represent seven successive periods in, in church history, and that the time in which they were living in was not the Philadelphian church, but was the last church, which was the Laodicean church. And if we will turn there really quick to just see the Laodicean, the condition of the Laodicean church, you will see what exactly God had in mind for, for his people at this time. Revelation chapter 3, if someone would be willing to read 14 through 17. Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 17. If someone would be willing to read into the microphone. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked? I counsel thee to buy of me we keep going? gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So this is the, the message to the latest see in church. Uh, as recorded in Revelation chapter 3. And as you can see, it's not a very flattering message at all. It has a very pointed message. And the condition of the church is outlined in, in detail. And as a result of studying this, James White decided that this was something that many people needed to hear. And at that time, they had started the ma uh, printing um, a magazine it, with which they kept in contact with, with the members of the little flock um, that were still believing uh, the truth. And so he sent it out in faith. Uh, first, the first 
addition, he asked a series of questions, setting up the stage for, for this message. And those questions, logically, when you answered them, according to the Bible, led to the realization that, that the Laodicean message was for, for that time period and that they were not part of the Philadelphian church. And then the next uh, s subsequent articles of the magazine um, that they were printing was, was to show how this message was to be applied to their life. Mrs. White received visions also from God confirming the message that was, that was found in the, in the scripture. And her messages are found in Testimonies chapter 1, ver, uh, vol, volume 1, forgive me, uh, pages 165 and onwards. And she had some very strong but powerful messages to, uh, to the little flock at the time. I read, I read some of those, uh, I read through the entire uh, testimony last night. And every time I read through it, I'm just struck by, by her candor and also the merciful way in which God tries to talk to us about our spiritual condition. And every time I'm, convi I'm convicted of, of my own spiritual condition when I read that testimony. However, at that time when people read it, they really had a change. Many of them wrote back to the review and they, they said that, there was, that they felt that the message had been specifically for them. And they felt like God was talking to them and they decided to make changes in their life. And one of the things that, that Mrs. White noticed was that a real change came upon the people. Many people confessed their sins, many people made changes in their life, and they decided to follow what was right, they reformed their life, and the changes persisted for a little while. However, the, when a strong message is preached, if it's not followed through by principle, and if it's only followed through by emotions, then that change does not last. And that was the same problem with this, with this message at this time. In the, 18, in the late 1850s, if you remember American history, the, the nation was gearing up for a civil war. And this civil war was, was right upon them, but it was not God's will that this should happen. And God was trying to save the world and especially the, the United States from, from, this, from this very bloody war. And this message of mercy was to go out to those people. Even if this war were to happen, it was to go out so that the people would be prepared. Many people would lose their lives in this conflict, potentially. And, and before they lost their life, God intended that this message of mercy would go out to the world. However, the reform that was to be made in, in God's people was not affected and as a result, the, the message just petered out. The, the effect just, just went away. She talked about it. She says, Mrs. White says, I was shown that the testimony to the Laodiceans apply to the God's people at this present time. And it is the reason, and the reason it has not accomplished a greater work is because of hardness of their hearts. But God has given the message time to do its work. The heart must be purified from sins which have so long shut out Jesus. This fearful message will do its work. 
When it was first presented, she says, it led to close examination of hearts. Sins were confessed and the people of God were stirred everywhere. Nearly all believed that this message would end in the loud cry of the third angel. But as they failed to see the powerful work accomplished in a short time, many lost the effect of the message. That was one of the reasons why this message failed. And that was because people did not see changes in the short time. They did not realize that this message was a different message and that it was supposed to, the changes that were supposed to take place would take some time. It wouldn't be forever, but it would take some time. And they weren't used to this. The gospel is not a quick fix thing. The deep-seated sins in our heart do not go away by one or two prayers. It takes a struggle and it takes a close examination of the heart and careful walking with, with Christ in order to remove and renounce those sins from our lives. And this does not happen in an instant. And she said, I saw that this message would not accomplish its work in a few short months. It is designed to arouse the people of God to discover to them their backslidings and to lead to zealous repentance that they may be favored with the presence of Jesus and be fitted for the loud cry of the third angel. So the message of the, of the, to the Laodicean church is to fit us to be able to give the loud cry of the third angel's message. And we cannot give that message until we have been fitted, until we have received the ability to give that message. And... It is impossible to give that message, which is a very hard message, until you have made changes in your life. And these changes do not take over, do not accomplish its work in a few short months, she says. It takes more than a few short months in order to accomplish this. A lot of times we do, we do a week of prayers, evangelistic series, um, prayer emphasis weeks, and at the end of the week we feel very close to God. However, that effect goes away because we fail to realize that that effect, that closeness with God has to, has to go on for till Jesus comes. We have to continue to be closer and closer to God till Jesus comes. It is, it's not a thing that, that wears away after a few weeks. And this message that will fit us to, to proclaim the three angels' messages, the third angels' message in particular, takes more than a few months of heart, heart searching and, and uh, of, changing, of changing our life. Some of, the reasons why, uh, some of the other reasons why the Laodicean message failed was that God wanted to prove his people, she says. She says, many move from feeling, not from principle and faith. And this solemn, fearful message stirred them. It wrought upon their feelings and excited their fears, but did not accomplish the work which God had designed that it should. That was one of the reasons. She says, another reason was that God leads his people on step by step. He brings them to, to different points calculated to manifest what is in their heart. Some endure at one point but fall off at the next. That was another reason why this message failed. She went on to say that some are willing to receive one point, but when God brings them to another testing point, they shrink from it back and stand back because they see that it strikes directly at some cherished idol. Here they have an opportunity to see what is in their heart that shuts out Jesus. They prize something higher than the truth and their hearts are not prepared to receive Jesus. Individuals are tested and proved a length of time to see if they will sacrifice their idols and heed the counsel of the true witness. And that was one of the reasons why this message failed was because there were cherished idols. And because of those idols, 
people chose those idols over Jesus. That was one of the reasons why this message failed. But then she goes on to say that there is another reason. She said that some lean upon old experience, which they had years ago. But when brought down to this heart-searching time, when all should have a daily experience, they have nothing to relate. They, think, they seem to think that a profession of truth will save them. Just merely saying, I believe in the Sabbath, I believe in the state and the dead, I believe that Jesus will come back, will not save you. When they subdue those sins to God which God hates, Jesus will come in and sup with them and they with him. That is directly from uh, Revelation chapter 3. So, one of the reasons also was that they leaned on old experience. Another reason was, um, it's, it's not expressly stated, but it is implied. And that is, she says that I have shown that the people of God should not imitate the fashions of this world. Unfortunately, the, the, ch the children of God were starting to become more like the world in their, in their fashions, in their actions, in their pursuits of gain. And she says that some have done this and are fast losing that peculiar holy character that should distinguish them as God's people. And she said, I was pointed back to God's ancient people and was led to compare their apparel with the mode of dress in these days. So one of the reasons was that they were becoming more and more like the world in their dress and in their thoughts and actions. And as a result, this message failed. She also went on to talk about systematic benevolence, which they had started, and, and the, the powerfulness of that system in helping to curb some of the covetousness that exists in people naturally. And the, the revival failed because it is only as the law of God is restored to its rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness among his professed people. That's Great Controversy, page 478. And because the law of God did not take the, the, the key part in people's hearts and that change was not affected in them because they expected it to be a quick snap thing, they uh, let this message go. And the fearful results of, of rejecting this message of, um, was shown in the, in the period right after that. We went through a horrendous civil war when thousands, ten thousands of people died in a, single, every, in a single day on the battlefield. Thousands. And many, many hundreds of thousands were wounded permanently because of that war. There was another time period a few years after that, that God came again to his people. And this was during the 1880s that God came very close to his people. It wasn't a specific time. It was more over a few years during that time that God came close again. This time, and I should add that the next, uh, next Sabbath's lesson uh, that we'll be covering uh, the time period that we'll be covering will be the 1888 General Conference. And Tim Arkawa will be, leading, will be leading that study. And it is a fascinating time in our church's history. However, just to set the stage for that and to just glean a few, a few uh, kernels from, from that time period, there were two individuals that, that helped to start, uh, helped to proclaim the message that God had for his people at the same time. 
that message was not a different message that had been preached from before. It was the same message. However, in the ensuing years from 1844 to around the 1880s, for some reason or another, God's people had become very efficient in doing God's work. And while efficiency is to be admired, consecration is what God wants. And what had happened is that God, that the, God's people had taken the message that He had given to be proclaimed to the end of the world and had made it into some kind of machinery. And as a result, people would preach these messages that Mrs. White called that they were dry as the hills of Gilboa. They were just dry messages. And God, Christ was not in those messages. Christ is the center of our, of our message. In the 1840s, people preached the message because they believed that Jesus was going to come soon. And Christ was a very much part of that message. People dreamed about uh, being with Jesus Christ. However, in the ensuing years, somehow Christ dropped off those messages and it just became a hard, harsh message, a clanging symbol, um, if, if I may say that, during this time period. And so God raised up people to bring back the focus back on Jesus. And these two men, A.T. Jones and, and E.J. Wagner, were young men at the time. A.T. Jones was 38 years old at the time of the General Conference. And E.J. Wagner was 33. They were polar opposites. One, uh, A.T. Jones was a self-taught man. He possessed a near photographic memory. He had uh, been through the army and he had taught everything that he knew he had taught himself. He was a self-learner. The other was E.J. Wagner was a doctor. He was a physician. He had gone through a real medical school and he had spent years and years of study and he was a more gentle man and a more refined man, if you want to say that. And his, uh, both of them combined together to work at Signs of the Times in California. And during their, their time together, they found some truths and they rediscovered some truths, I should say, and they began to proclaim them as they rediscovered them. However, because of unbelief and because of the wrong spirit towards each other, both by A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner and by the senior leadership of the Adventist Church at the time, these feelings overflowed till the church was split into two camps. And as a result, and they were split over some of the most trivial things. Some of the most trivial things split them. And because of that, God was unable to come during that time period. And, and Tim will cover exactly what happened during that time period. As we close today, I want to, I want to give you kind of a preview of where this class is going. We're going to continue covering time periods in this history in our Adventist history till we come to our present time. And you will see that we are living in a very unique time. God has come very close again to this Adventist church. And the chance that we have to enter, the, uh, to enter heaven is just as real as the chance our forefathers had to enter heaven in the 1840s, in the 1850s, and in the 1880s. And the only way that we are going to be able to not make the mistakes that our forefathers made, the mistakes of unbelief, the mistakes of looking to man, 
if you, if you ever want to take one sentence to describe the entire 1880s, it would be that sentence right there, looking to man. They looked to man instead of to Christ. If, if we are to take the message of the latency and message and to assimilate into our lives and make the changes that it requires, and as God presents those changes to our life, if we would make those changes, we will find ourselves proclaiming the, the third angel's message and seeing Jesus come. However, God's promises are the same as they were yesterday. They are the same today. God's promises are conditional. And He is come very close to us today. And if we follow through with those promises, He will fulfill those promises in us. However, if we decide to go the way of our forefathers, then those promises will lapse. God will breach His promise. And He will go to another generation. He will wait for another generation to rise up. A generation that will put Him at the center of the message. A generation that will make those required changes in their life. A generation that will fulfill the, the, the message and the mission that He has for His church. So as you study these three time periods in, in, in our history, let us not study it just to know what happened, but let us study to avoid those mistakes. And let's make sure that, that as we study these messages, that we pray that God will, will make that change in our life, will change us in our life, and that, that we ultimately will be able to see Jesus come. Let us close with prayer. Dear Father, we are standing right at the borders of Canaan again. And Father, we have received a report that the, the land over there is fair and that it is worth inhabiting. And Father, we know that you will go with us through the Jordan. But Father, right now as we stand, there are many things that keep us from doing what we want to do. We ask that the message to the Laodiceans, the message that you had, the Christ-centered message that you had for us in the 1880s, the urgency of the message that you had for us in the 1840s. Be with us today as we study the Bible. Help us to assimilate into our life the changes that you need us to make. Help us to be prepared to be that people that will be able to give the loud cry. We ask that you bless us this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.